Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Topper. Good evening. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD and working memory, your GPS for life. With us in our virtual studio is the Dr. Russell Barkley. Uh, we're going to get into the show in a moment, but real quickly, tonight is Wednesday, June the 6th, 2018, at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, our show is being brought to you by Children and Adults with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, and we're offering you two free digital copies of Attention Magazine. All you have to do is listen for the secret word given in three shows, uh, then email us the secret words along with the title or the date of the show that it aired to attention at attentiontalkradio.com, and we'll email you the two uh, magazines issues in a PDF format. Um, as I said, tonight's show is being brought to you by Chad. Uh, we've got a little tip that we're going to run for you, and then we'll get into things. So here we go. Parent-to-parent family training on ADHD helps parents meet the needs of their children with ADHD. Through this training, you will gain an in-depth understanding of how to manage ADHD-related issues, advocate for your child effectively, and much more. Parent-to-parent family training on ADHD was designed with you in mind. To learn more, visit chad.org forward slash parent, the number two, parent. Thank you so much, Chad, for our show. Everybody out there, if you're not familiar with Chad, they're the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. Uh, we encourage all of our listeners to become a member to support Chad and our voice. They do uh, they do a lot of lobbying, a lot of help for us uh, on Capitol Hill and different regulatory agencies, um, and have a lot of great member benefits. Member benefits, excuse me. To learn more about uh, becoming a member, which is about Chad, go to their website at chadd.org. So let's get into uh, tonight's show. Uh, we've done several uh, interviews with Dr. Russell Barkley in the past. Most, much of it focused on um, ADHD as a self-regulation issue, um, also talking about emotional self-regulation, some other things. And on Attention Talk video, we talked to him a little bit about working memory, but we really wanted to delve into this tonight. I was, uh, was with him at the last uh, international conference on ADHD talking about working memory, and uh, he related to a GPS, and I thought it was time to pull him on the show. So uh, that's what we have for you tonight. Real quickly, Dr. Barkley is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the Virginia Treatment Center for Children and Virginia Commonwealth University Medical Center. Dr. Barkley has been featured in seven award-winning DVDs, has presented more than 800 uh, invited addresses internationally, and has appeared on national television programs and radio programs such as 60 Minutes, The Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS Sunday Morning, and CNN. He has received numerous awards for his contribution to ADHD research and clinical, clinical practice. His publications into 22 books, rating scales, uh, and clinical manuals, and more than 260 scientific articles and books, chapters uh, on the nature uh, assessment and the treatment of ADHD. His latest book, When an Adult You Love Has ADHD, Professional Advice for Parents, Partners, and Siblings, uh, it's available uh, from the publisher and any major bookseller, and uh, you can find it on his website at russellbarkley.org, uh, where many of his other publications are also available. Uh, and you can also find just a more host of other information. Our show tonight was pre-recorded because of his very, very busy schedule. Uh, we're going to air with it now. We really hope you enjoy it. It's very insightful. Dr. Barkley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Good to be back, Jeff. 
I'm, I'm thrilled to have you back. Uh, for our listeners out there, uh, Dr. Bartman and I did our first interview together at Attention Talk Radio back in 2011. At the time, he was talking about ADHD as an executive functioning and self-regulation thing. At the time, he was talking about how emotions were much a part of ADHD's attention wars because it's something that you need to regulate. It was a, spe- a spectacular interview. It changed the way I coach. And then a year later, we did an interview on his uh, – executive functioning deficit disorder construct and really talking about ADHD as an executive functioning and the brilliance of him going through and and saying, listen, there's really not a definition of executive functioning and kind of working his way through that um, and talking about self-regulation. And it forever changed my my coaching because I began to to look at people not as having a deficit of attention but regular uh, rather a self-regulation problem. And so it was fascinating because I began to see what they always paid attention to that nobody noticed. The other thing that was fascinating that I've learned over the years is what an impact working memory has with those with ADHD. And Dr. Barkley and I have done some videos on this before, and in one of those I was describing an exercise that I do when I'm coaching people where I, I, I state five words out loud and then I ask them to repeat them back to me in alphabetical order. And as they do that, we kind of walk through the fact that they haven't learned anything new, uh, but really it's the ordering of the, um, of the words in their mind, which is, is an executive function issue, which is really working memory. And it's fun for me because when I do that for the first time, it's not just words that I actually can see. Um, they're working memory as a process, and what's fascinating to me is with five words, and they're, and they're like bumblebee, hippopotamus, kangaroo, teacher, and I think bumble, uh, zebra or something. It think that you can picture, but it was interesting for me over the years because about half the people with ADHD either get the order wrong or forget a word. The other thing that I do a lot is I talk about ADHD is kind of like booting up your computer in the morning, and if you get distracted, mm-hmm. it's like it gets unplugged, and then you go back and, and relook at it, and the issue is you have to reboot the computer. It's really effortful, and I use that to kind of help those with ADHD understand kind of transitions a little bit and kind of coach around it. Today, yeah, so what I'm excited about is Dr. Barkley not – I'm sorry? I said they're both very good strategies. Thanks. It's, well, it's, it's a lot of fun for them to see that, but you and I were talking about – Working memory as your GPS um, back in uh, the last conference, and it was fascinating to me because I'm, I'm taking the concepts that I'm working on, and you started talking about GPS and new information coming in, and I really wanted this opportunity to kind of give you the floor to kind of talk about that and speak more about working memory because more and more to me ADHD is a self-regulation issue with a working memory challenge, and I think the way yeah. you describe this stuff is perfect. So can you just walk us through the concept of working memory sure. from your perspective and the GPS analogy? Yeah, yeah, I'd be glad to. Thank you for the opportunity to do that. Um, Jeff, the way I think of it is, uh, first of all, people need to understand that there are seven major executive functions uh, that the brain has installed in it that develop over time. So it's like pre-installed software that comes in your computer to continue with the the sort of computer metaphor here. And um, of these seven, two of them involve working memory. One is nonverbal Uh, which is often thought of as sort of a visual, spatial, uh, picture-type working memory. Uh, And the other is verbal working memory. And uh, modern-day neuropsychology looks at these as kind of what I call the cognitive computer view. They're just sort of uh, storage devices where we can hold information in mind in the storage device and even manipulate it if we need to, like you were doing with your example, 
in order to accomplish a goal, because after all, that's what all seven executive functions exist to do. They exist to help you regulate your behavior to self-regulation over time to accomplish the goal uh, and to meet the future more generally. So it's a future-directed set of devices here that we're talking about. And, and this computer view of uh, brain functioning has been very useful for the past couple of decades, but I think it's, it's kind of maxed out now. We really haven't seen any further progress. Also, it can be criticized for a number of reasons we don't need to go into here uh, that have to do with the fact that the brain really isn't a computer, even though it's helpful at times to think of it that way. Uh, brains have motives, they have strategies, they have an evolutionary history, uh, they exist for, uh, you know, very special purposes, especially social purposes in the case of humans, and computers don't involve any of that. So, um, but, so I think of the working memory uh, types, the verbal and nonverbal, as part of this suite of mind tools we call the executive functions. Now, where my view differs, as you know, from sort of mainstream cognitive views is I, I look at all the executive functions as things we actively, effortfully have to do to ourselves to manage ourselves. Uh, and while they may seem somewhat automatic, they take effort. Uh, and that's because we are using them to direct actions at ourselves to modify what we would have done automatically. And the reason we're trying to modify our automatic behavior is we're trying to make our future better. We're trying to accomplish goals. We're trying to get somewhere. We're trying to improve our welfare over time uh, so that we're basically trying to improve the rewards uh, and maximize them uh, for our welfare and avoid the hardships and adversities and penalties, uh, if we can do so, that may lie in the future if we don't change our automatic behavior. So I think of them as actions to the self, something we are doing to actively manage ourselves. Uh, and that's a very different view. It's more of a Vygotskyan view out of Russian neuropsychology than it is an American view, which tends to be sort of computer-based. Uh, so yep. it, let me just explain these two actions, and then we can yep. uh, stop and see what questions you have. The first one, which is nonverbal working memory, I look at as imagery to the self. You're seeing to yourself, and you're using your other senses as well, such as hearing and taste, but the most important to humans is vision, which is why there's a lot of visual imagery uh, space put aside in the brain. So we're holding images in our mind, and then the second thing that develops a little bit later is we start talking to ourselves, originally out loud, but as children develop, this becomes more private speech. It becomes our mind's voice. So we're doing two things to ourselves to create what people call working memory. We're using visual images that we're activating in our mind and using them to guide ourselves. Usually these are images related to what we're trying to do, and they're images of our past experiences that are relevant to what we're trying to do. And we're talking to ourselves and giving ourselves guidance and rules and directions and admonitions as we uh, go through this. And that's where I came up with the GPS metaphor, which I can explain in a moment, but I want to stop and see uh, if you want me to clarify something. Well, I just really want to emphasize, um, in my experience as a coach, um, where you talk about the effortfulness of the 
the thoughtful brain. And you, yes. you said it before. Think of the brain as a two-level system. There's the automatic brain, and there's the executive functioning brain, which is really effortful because it's got to step in and override the automatic brain. And I'm sharing that because as a coach, it's profound to me when I describe that to people is you have, like, automatic things, habits and stuff that are really, really good because you want to save the effort or your fuel, if you will, to use for those really yeah. difficult kind of tasks. And there's a fun exercise that I do with people, particularly that don't have ADHD, where I ask them to go – prepare a meal, eat a meal, and clean up a meal using their less dominant hand. And I do that for them to actually notice how it's very effortful because they have to stop and they have to think about what they're doing all the way through it. And it is very, very effortful, and it's fun to listen to them struggle with it. And and I just really want to accent that point because – if you're looking at ADHD as a self-regulation issue, it's very effortful. And when we start talking about working memory, particularly when you've yeah. got to get involved in something that's relatively complex, like maybe doing your taxes, it takes a lot of mental effort actually to kind of override that urge to kind of go do something different. So really, I didn't really want to do anything more than just accident at that point and say from a coach, our, my biggest issue is trying to help people to pause and to choose what yes. they're doing. And, which that pause is the hardest part, but that's the part where we get the, the thinking brain to override the automatic. So forgive me, but I really want to emphasize that because I, I, I've adored how you articulated that in the past. Well, Jeff, I'm glad you did because that distinction is the initial one we need to make. There are two uh, brain systems if we want to simplify them. You spell them out very nicely. The automatic one, which guides about 80 to 90% of what we do every day, Uh, And then there's the effortful executive brain, which is the other 10 to 20% that kicks in when, as you explained nicely in your exercise, you're asked to do something that's novel. It's different. It's not automatic. you got to think about it. And you're precisely right. You can't think about it if you don't stop. So as your mother said, stop and think before you act. And the first word there is stop. There ain't no thinking if there's no stopping. And the thinking is the executive part that kicks in, which is why inhibition is so crucial to all the other executive functions because without it, they don't stand a chance to take over and help you self-regulate your behavior. The other thing I think that's a useful uh, point to make here before I continue with the GPS metaphor is, um, is the effortfulness of this. This is why people with ADHD, when they come to our clinics, tell us that it takes them seven times more effort to do what other people find easier to do. Uh, And and it's because their executive system, as you pointed out, uh, isn't working as well, and they have to really concentrate and apply effort to do the things that other people find somewhat easier and less effortful to do. And they're exhausted. I mean, by the end of the day, they're worn out. And as you pointed out, if you're burned out and your fuel tank is low, you're going to start to have a lot of self-regulatory deficits and failures because you just don't have the effort there anymore. And uh, it's no surprise that we see people with ADHD turning to, you know, other ways of trying to cope with that, whether it's alcohol, whether it's marijuana, you know, uh, but uh, whether it's exercise, uh, whether it's the Internet, they're trying to distract themselves in such a way to give that fuel tank a chance uh, to to refuel itself. Uh, And and they're not always the most useful ways. But we can get into that some other time about the role of ADHD in addiction proneness, but let's get back to the GPS metaphor. So here uh, in my view. Dr. Barker, let's do this. Let's let's go to break real quick because I don't want to interrupt this as you kind of get into this. So uh, let's go to break real quick. Um, Everybody, tonight the secret word is working. 
Again, tonight's secret word is working. Uh, let's go to commercial, and we'll pick up on the GPS minute before we get back. So we'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change your lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. The average annual cost of attending college starts around $25,000. Students who have ADHD are at high risk of dropping out because they haven't learned the critical skills they need to succeed in school. Protect your investment with an EDGE Foundation coach, specifically trained to help students with ADHD and executive function challenge make the transition from high school to college. Visit edgefoundation.org to learn more or call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE to get your free college success guide. Get it right with Omega Bright, the premier natural advanced omega-3 formula for improved attention and focus. Omega Bright was formulated by Dr. Carol Locke while on faculty at Harvard Medical School and was the first high-concentrate omega-3 on the market. Omega Bright is recommended by New York Times bestseller and leading ADHD authority, Dr. Ned Hollowell, who takes Omega Bright and recommends Omega Bright to all his patients. Order Omega Bright today. Visit omegabright.com or call 1 800 699 6525. Enter code ATTENTION on checkout for the chance to win a month's supply of Omega Bright. Make every moment count with Time Timer, a sensitive solution for ADHD time management. It shows how much time is left using a bright red disc that gets smaller as time passes. To place an order for a Time Timer, all you have to remember is timetimer.com. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by digcoaching.com. Do you have something those with ADHD need? Advertise on Attention Talk Radio. We are a narrowcast, internet-based radio show targeting those with or impacted by ADHD. To learn more about advertising opportunities, email attention at attentiontalkradio.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with uh, Dr. Russell Barkley. Uh, before the break, I think we're really doing a lot of teeing everything up here for this. what's going to be a great conversation. And I want to emphasize the effortfulness of, um, of thinking and the working memory. And Dr. Barkley's got a great, a great way of describing this to us that uh, he's going to share. But uh, as you listen to this, realize that working memory is a, a lot of a challenge, and it does require effort, and it does take a lot from those, pe- those that are out there, and I do a lot of coaching them around, like, how to make it easier and do that. So with all that, Dr. Barkley, take it away. Share uh, uh, our, our GPS metaphor, put it in context. Yeah, I, I sure will. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, the, uh, the reason we're talking about this is, as you know, research shows that the executive system is about 30 to 40 percent delayed in children developing their executive system into adulthood, uh, and it tends to level off at about 30 years of age. Uh, And if you haven't achieved a a high functional level at that point in your executive abilities, then that tends to continue throughout the rest of your life. You remain less capable of using these executive functions, particularly working memory, uh, throughout your major life tasks. And, you know, when we sat down with patients, you know, adults as as well as families and children, to try to explain this to families, uh, sometimes they struggle a little bit, particularly with the, the working memory part of it. Uh, And so 
Uh, one a metaphor that struck me, uh, largely because I was increasingly using the device when I travel, uh, is the GPS in the car. And I found it to be a, a perfect uh, example of what the brain is doing when we use working memory to guide us. And as we all know, a GPS, first of all, involves uh, you put in the address you want to get to. That's the goal. That's, the, that's where you want to be in the future. It's exactly like what we do with our executive yep. system. We identify uh, something later, a goal, that we're trying to get to. Uh, now what we have to do is figure out how we're going to get there. What's the route going to be? What are the steps? What's the sequence? How much time is it going to take? Uh, so we activate that address in our GPS, and it automatically starts bringing up the relevant images of the map, of the past. Uh, so it's already in there, but it's just bringing up what's relevant. It's not bringing up the whole planet or the whole U.S. or the East Coast. It's just bringing up the map, the geography, uh, and the roads between where you are now and where you want to get to later. So the first thing the GPS is doing is using uh, imagery, just like our brain does. It uses visual yes. imagery. The, the second thing it's doing is it's activating only the images that are relevant to getting from where you are now to where you want to be later. So those are the steps you're going to follow. And we like to imagine them uh, because we like to think about what, what are those going to involve. And we can manipulate them if we need to, to get to a better place uh, or to get there more quickly, but it's imagery. So that's what we're looking at on the screen of our GPS, whether it's in your cell phone or built into your car or in an actual GPS device. doesn't matter. It's, it's images that you're using to guide yourself from point A to point B to accomplish that goal. But notice the second thing that all of us rely on, because we can't keep our eyes on the image at all times. We enhance the, the GPS ability with words. So the GPS device is now talking to you. And it's exactly what your mind is doing. You're using self-speech, your mind's voice, to enhance these images, to give you directions, to tell you rules, because a lot of us do things as well, if not better, following verbal instructions than just visual instructions. Uh, particularly, we find you know, many people aren't very good at spatial relationships, uh, and they, they tend to like to have the verbal stuff over the visual stuff. But we're doing both. So we're using the verbal instructions, the self-talk, and the imagery of getting to the goal. And when you combine them, you have a very powerful device for getting to the future, for setting and accomplishing your goals, for looking at the steps it takes to get from here to there, uh, changing those steps if there's an obstacle. What if there's construction? What if there's a breakdown? What if there's an accident? Well, the GPS, particularly if you're using a program like Waze, because it has real-time updates, is going to divert you around the obstacle and find alternatives to still get you to that address and that goal. And we do the same thing. We start to play with our imagery when we encounter an obstacle because something came up we didn't expect uh, in getting to the goal. And now we need to find a route around the obstacle and continue toward that goal. And that's exactly what your mind, uh, your, your brain is doing using these two working memory devices. Uh, and, and to just summarize, boy, did we find that that connected with our patients and our families because very few people do not know what a GPS is and have not used it. So they could immediately connect to this metaphor, to this example, in understanding the power 
of the working memory system in helping us accomplish our goals. And, and that's why I've gravitated to it more and more in explaining this part of the executive system to people. So what I, it, it's, it's, it's such a vivid um, example. And this is a situation where the goal is to get somewhere to an address or a place, and we can look at maps and stuff like that. Imagine if you are, if you're listening to this show, that you're trying to basically GPS your way to a goal, and it's not something that might be as visual. It might be, um, you know, a little bit more intangible. And imagine that this GPS, the picture of the map and the routing, that stuff is actually taking place in your brain. And, you know, Dr. Barkley, earlier I talked about how I would give five words to people for them to hold in their mind and to manipulate them. And often I'll say, what would be like if I gave you 10 or 15? And they get overwhelmed pretty fast. And... The externalization of this to a GPS enables you to see it and relieve your mind of having to create that scenario in your mind or visualize it in your mind to kind of go there. And so it takes the effort out of it by externalizing this very much. And yeah. also I've also learned sometimes when people are talking about this, they're externalizing that self-talk, which actually helps um, minimize the work to their working memory. I'm not so sure I'm doing a real good job of this, but what I'm, I guess my yeah. point really is is this is a, a visual thing. In times where it's not visual, imagine this is going on inside your head and how complicated that can be, and that's where those with ADHD really, really struggle. Is that, yes. Is that making sense? Yes, absolutely. And I, I think for the, those people who aren't familiar with the word, Jeff and I use the word externalizing to mean get it out of the mind, offload it out of your head and your brain, and use props, cues, devices, uh, in the environment to help guide you. And that can include talking out loud to yourself as well as arranging do lists, uh, arranging cues, putting pictures of your goal. Like if you're trying to buff up at the gym, maybe you put, you know, a hypermuscular person on your refrigerator to look at periodically. Those are all ways of using images and words, you know, lists, self-talk, images, pictures, cues, there are all ways that we enhance our GPS, our working memory, by using external devices rather than relying on just the mental devices that may be, as Jeff pointed out, very weak, uh, inconsistent, not always effective, easily disrupted by distractions. Uh, that's going to be a lot more powerful if you use external devices. So that's what the word externalizing means uh, to your viewers uh, in case they're not familiar with it. Get it out of the brain. Yep make it physical, uh, put it in the external environment, and the power of external uh, information devices, stimuli, is much greater than mental content is at guiding behavior. So thanks for pointing that out. So and, and just, just to kind of the, the exercise that I do where I give the people the five words, when I'm giving them the instructions before I say that, number one, I don't want you to write it down because if they wrote it down on index cards, then they no longer have to remember the words and they can – order them on the, on the table. The other thing I do is I tell them, if you feel the urge to repeat the word after I say it, please don't. And it's over. Yes. I go through the, the exercise and get done. I, I described, I think, I think I heard this at the Chad conference in 2011, how you talked about three-year-olds when they're playing, they're often playing, they're doing something, they're talking 
um, that self-talk, they're, they're talking to themselves at the building, but the cool part developmentally is we can hear them. They are actually verbalizing. They're talking out loud. And, and somewhere between age three and five, if I remember correctly, that public conversation that they have with themselves becomes privatized. It moves into the prefrontal cortex, which is the self-talk. And in a similar fashion, I understand play happens the same way. You begin to visualize and simulate it. And what I've learned right. in working with people with ADHD is many come to me, and when they're talking a lot, I began to listen to the function because I find a lot of times that their working memory is not powerful enough, and so they do a lot of talking out loud or bouncing their logic off of somebody or just kind of swirling around. And it's funny because often people tell them, you need to get to the point. And I'll say, no, just talk out loud for me for a minute or two. And it's amazing to me how they relax and they can think a lot quicker, a lot faster because they're externalizing that and, and their working memory is a little less taxed. Did I represent yes, that correctly? Right. Absolutely. You know, that kind of external speech, uh, although it's a sign that, you know, you're going back in development to use something that uh, other people had used earlier and now have moved into using a mental function, you know, they talk in their mind rather than out loud, the person with ADHD really should be encouraged to externalize, to talk to themselves out loud if necessary. And you'll often find that, you know, when they're talking too much, uh, that's usually what they're trying to do is to use this external language to kind of guide them, you know, through time. They can do it better than yep. they do. As you know, they often don't get to yep. the point as quickly as others. And you can help facilitate self-talk by making it more efficient, you know, in writing down or, or getting to the, key, to the key points. But this idea of making language external, just as we talked about making pictures external, uh, is very important. It's very powerful. It's a great piece of scaffolding, as I call it, of external yep. structure that people with ADHD can use to augment the weaker internal functions of the working memory system. So, no, the, these are very good points. There, there are some other things that they can do as well. I'm sure you have some suggestions, and so do I. But anyway, let's go to break and come back and kind of talk about – I'd love to share more about how it kind of manifests because I've learned in working with ADHD – crowd, the more they understand and they can see what working memory is in their mind with what we've described, it's easier for them to find what actually works for them. So we'll, we'll go to break. We'll come back. We'll pick up on this. Um, everyone, to learn more about Dr. Barkley, go to his website at russellbarkley.com. Tonight's secret word is working. Again, tonight's secret word is working. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Make every moment count with Time Timer, a sensitive solution for ADHD time management. It shows how much time is left using a bright red disc that gets smaller as time passes. To place an order for a Time Timer, all you have to remember is timetimer.com. You can't go off to college with them, but we can. Visit edgefoundation.org to learn more how an edge coach can help your student reach their full potential. You can also call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE and get a free college success guide. The Attention Talk Network has over 450 interviews and more than 210 hours of programming, which is overwhelming if you think about it. 
That's why I've made my list top 10 favorite Attention Talk radio interviews. Download the list at www.digcoaching.com forward slash ATR. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're having another spectacular interview with Dr. Russell Barkley, uh, specifically talking about working memory and making it kind of tangible. Um, Dr. Barkley, one of the things that I've kind of learned and found fascinating working with people with ADD is the need to externalize things so that their working memory is a little less taxed. So they put things out. And if they do a bunch of things, they have a tendency to put things out because if they put away, it's out of sight, out of mind. And sometimes when they're working on a project, they have things out and they're visual reminders. I know for me, when I'm coaching people, they're like 20 projects a week. And every time I get on the phone with somebody, that booting up of my computer, the recalling the history and the conversation that we had with them is so difficult from scratch. What I do is every time I coach somebody when I'm done, I look at my notes and I dictate a stream of consciousness. It's not, and I say it's a stream of consciousness. I just look at the words on the page and the buzzwords and I do it. It's transcribed. When it comes back right before, like literally like a minute before, I, get, I skim through the, my dictated notes, the stream of consciousness. And what that does is it kind of like loads my working memories. I describe, I don't have to reboot my computer. It just pulls it out of hibernation. And then I'm present. I can remember what we were talking about last time in a really efficient manner. In the same way, sometimes I see they put projects out, and there's visual reminders of where they were when they last left the projects. So they can get back into it a little bit quicker. And with this, it's fascinating when I do this, but a lot of times I find they have a lot of stuff out because they have the visual reminders of different things. But at some point in time, it becomes overwhelming. So there becomes a yes. little bit of recognizing is that they're visual and that they're externalizing the product, but at the same time we need to manage it by using drapes and stuff because if there's too much visually out there, they get a little overwhelmed. Now, this is just my experience in talking to you, but I'm interested in your thoughts on that because, again, they put the stuff out because I think sometimes it helps them transition into some of those things, but too many things out is also a hindrance. What are your thoughts on that related to working memory? Uh, uh, Absolutely, and and that's why uh, many people, uh, coaches and clinicians included, have realized the value for some people, particularly if they're working at home, uh, to have uh, people come in who are workspace organizers uh, or other people who specialize in uh, time motion uh, types of studies to to just take a quick look at your workspace. Uh, And it's helpful to have somebody else do it. You can do it yourself too, uh, but having somebody else do it it can also be beneficial. And, And look at how do you have your workspace organized? Is it the most effective for the purposes that you've just talked about. Uh, Would it be better off if you simply kept the work to be done on a different desk and then simply went there, picked one up, walked to your workspace desk, uh, and that's where you worked on one project at a time while keeping the other ones in some kind of sequence and priority? Because you're absolutely right. The penchant for distractibility, the poor impulse control that goes with that distractibility, the, the weak working memory that can be shattered so easily like thin glass when there's a distraction for somebody with ADHD, uh, and then there's nothing in working memory because it gets erased after that, and now you've, you're off task and you've lost your goal and you don't know what you're doing. You know, all of that comes into play for uh, kids and adults with ADHD. So this idea of keeping the workspace limited to simply what is involved in that project is, is so crucial. It even goes so far as to tell people to have two computers. You keep one computer is where you play your games, you surf your social media and get on the internet. 
The other computer is for work, and it has no games on it. And you can even put in software applications like Self Control and others that block your browser from going to particular websites you're fond of frequenting. Uh, but there are various ways of keeping one computer for work and the other for games yep. that, that play right into your recommendation of how do I organize my workspace and, and my life more generally so that I can accomplish my goals with less distraction. And, you know, those are wonderful ideas. I'm really glad you brought this up because this brings up another issue that I'm really interested in your thoughts on, and that is we're talking about working memory. We've described this so so often I see, particularly my son has this issue. He goes to school, and everything is kind of online now. And what will happen is, is you've got a computer screen, and maybe you're reading something, and you're, you have a something that you're holding in mind, and you need to compare it to something else. So now you've got to read it. You've got to hold it. Then you have to follow your instructions about clicking on another browser maybe, scrolling down the page, looking for what you're doing. While you're remembering that original thing, these instructions are coming and they're taxing your working memory. Then you are searching for something, and often you've forgotten what you were originally holding in your mind. And the reason I bring this up, because I find that people with ADHD, when they're on the computer and they're having to move around, it's exceptionally taxing to their working memory, whereas in the old days when I grew up, we would just print it off. And if you had two pages on a table right next to each other, your eyes just dart from one side to another, and you can actually highlight it, and you can actually absorb yeah. that information. And so to me, I find that sometimes high-tech for ADHD is low-tech by printing and paper because it's less taxing to the working memory. And more and more I'm finding society pushing people to these electronic devices that are making it more difficult yes. for those with ADHD because of their working memory. So can you share your thoughts on this? Yeah, precisely, Jeff, because I, I tell this exact same thing to uh, audiences, to professionals, uh, to conferences. Like I was just in Israel lecturing at a highly successful conference. It was one of the points I made in describing how to help people with ADHD is that this drift toward and uh, sort of uh, glamorization of high tech as the way to go for everything, uh, I think is, uh, is misguided for ADHD in, in many ways. It doesn't mean it can't help some people, uh, but this idea that this is all going to get resolved by developing apps and using smartphones and tablets and, uh, you know, smart watches and other ways, that this is going to be the way to resolve ADHD issues. Uh, I think it, we, we know it doesn't work very well, and you and I both know why. They have to charge up the device, which they may or may not do. They have to upload the information in the device to begin with, which, of course, they're probably not going to do or not do well. Uh, uh, somebody else is going to have to do that. They have to remember where they put the device. You know, where the heck is my cell phone? Where is that digital memory stick? You know, is it in my car? Is it under the seat? You know, so, you know, these are people who have trouble finding their car keys. You can imagine how often they lose their technology and, and smartphones. Uh, so, you know, high tech, although it has a glamorousness to it these days, uh, I think for ADHD um, is it, probably not going to be very good. And, and if you're going to use yep. it, at least augment it with your suggestion. Let's go low tech. Let's go back to paper and pencil. So here's two things that we tell uh, adults with ADHD to do and even families as their children move into late childhood, early adolescence, two strategies they can use. Number one, let's get a journal, let's get some blank paper. You need to be carrying around a blank notebook with you into which you write everything you agree to do and everything you are told to do. That becomes your working memory. You're offloading your verbal working memory into that notebook. 
And that notebook goes with you everywhere. I don't care if you're naked or not. This thing is chained to you because this is your external storage device for your working memory. So let's go back to low-tech paper and pencil. Let's go back to do lists and journals. Even week at a glance calendars, those beautiful little paper calendars that everybody used to use before they got Outlook and other, you know, calendar devices. Yep. So uh, go low-tech. The second thing is try to use imagery, not just language, because for many people, uh, you know, an image is worth a thousand words. So uh, let's say that you've been asked to do something. All right, at the, at the bottom of the paper, write the goal. All right, now start at the top of the paper. This is where you are. Now start to draw some lines between the top and the bottom. You know, you are here. You can put that at the top of the paper, and this is where you need to get. All right, what are the things that I need to do to get from the top to the bottom? And you can literally start to draw a map like your GPS does. Draw a line to the left for the first step that you think needs to be done, and either in a couple of words or with a picture. Some people prefer to draw a little hieroglyph, a little reminder, a doodle, if you will. doesn't matter what it is. Choose your preference and start to see if you can't think out the sequence. Uh, and, and maybe you have to reorganize it. Maybe you need to draw the lines between the top and these intermediate steps differently because they have to be done in a different sequence. But make a map, make an external map like your brain would have done with a mental map and use the visual part of a GPS, not just the verbal part of the GPS. And when you use them in combination, it works very well. Many people talk about the verbal part, you know, the do list, the talking out loud, yep. uh, the calendars and, you know, that sort of thing, and the auditory reminders that come with using your calendar. That's all really great. But schools have learned that when projects have to be done, like written projects or reports or things like that, uh, it helps to also create the map for many people with ADHD. Yep. Because I'm telling you, once you have that map and that stays in front of you, that's more compelling than your language is. Remember, yep. language is kind of ephemeral. Once you say it, it disappears in reality, unless you've written it down, whereas the image is always there. So yep. do both. Please so, do both, and I think you'll find it's a more powerful combination. Yeah, I want to take exactly what you said and just take it to a, another level for people to visualize. Dr. Barkley talks all the time about point of performance, and the reason to keep that notebook with you is when you have that idea, you've got literally like a second and a half to externalize it or it's not going to happen. So it's, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. One of the things that I've learned over the years is if you can walk around with Post-its, it's really, really good because when you have an idea with a Post-it, you can actually put it on a page and you can move it around because if you have a list and then you're having to rewrite that list, number one, it taxes your working memory because you have to pay attention. It makes it more difficult to self-regulate. But if you've got a post-it, you can move it from one sheet of paper as a list to another. The other thing is that I've learned over the years is if you put a bunch of ideas like Dr. Barker said to map things out, but if you put them on a post-it like an idea and you get a poster board, because of the way the post-its are, you can rearrange it relatively easy and categorize it without doing it in your mind. You're doing it on the board until you see it. And the cool thing about poster board is you can roll it all up with a rubber band around it so that it's not out all the time. So you can roll it out and roll it out and see your maps on a regular basis. Something else that I've learned Dr. Barkley was asking, I was coaching a woman one time, and we talked about the idea of, a, of drawing a picture for her to-do list. And we, I suggested as a homework exercise, and she came back to me, and she said one time, you know, it's amazing to me, I never really realized, because she said, first of all, it worked. But a, a, a letter is a symbol. 
And when I look at the symbols of a word, I put a word together, and that's a symbol, and a, a sentence. I assemble the words, which are symbols, and I build a picture of my mind what that task is. I would go off and I would go do that task, but I would get distracted, and it would evaporate, and I would have to go back and reassemble the picture effortlessly, going back to our conversation earlier, she said, after a while, I just wouldn't go through the effort. Whereas drawing the picture, she didn't have to go through the cognitive work of building that picture in her mind. And it's funny because I've worked with some people before where literally, organizationally, if you have a binder and it said Bank of America, it's invisible because you've got to assemble it and associate it. But if you have the logo of Bank of America, there's that association and it's, it speeds up that whole process. And I'm sharing this with with everybody, it sounds like I'm all over the place, but this is the type of stuff when you begin to, from a metacognition perspective, witness what's going on, you're not just doing the prescribed list. You're taking a look and say, how can I make this thing work for me? And as I described, the post-it thing I found to be very, very helpful because you can move it all over the place, and you don't have to rewrite it all out, which is taxing and makes it more difficult for a person to self-regulate. So anyway, Dr. Mark, you want anything yep. you want to on that? Well, absolutely brilliant. I mean, I, I wish I put some of that in my last book for uh, when an adult you love has ADHD and my book for adults taking charge of ADHD, of adult ADHD. Uh, you know, both of those, I, I could have added a few more of these. So don't be surprised, Jeff, if I kind of pirate some of this for the second and third editions of these, of these books. But no, I, I think this is a wonderful idea. I think the post-it notes are, are brilliant because unlike a static picture, as you said, you can move the components around very quickly without erasing and redrawing and that sort of thing. You can take it with you. Uh, and then you can, uh, you can even put the post-it note at the point of performance. I once got in a car with a drug rep who had ADHD, and she had 30 post-it notes on her dashboard. Uh, but that was the point of performance, and they were in sequence as to who she needed to visit at what time, where and she even had key little uh, notes on there about what she needed to emphasize in that next meeting with that doctor and it was absolutely brilliant the only thing that scared me is she covered up the speedometer so, <laughs> so oftentimes she, she didn't quite know how fast she was going as you know adults with adhd have a propensity to speed anyway uh, but i mean it, it it exemplifies that i think brilliant point about the value of sticky notes or post-it notes uh you know hat tip to 3m there for creating the product but it was, uh, that's great. And then I think, the, let's come back to this point. If you can create an image of something, it is far easier and faster to retrieve that because you can just imagine it instantly. And within the image are all of the pieces of information that you would have had to reconstruct verbally, and now you don't have to, which is why back in the days before we had paper and pencil, like in the Greek and Roman times, people used to teach this device as a way to remember very complex sets of information. And by the way, waiters and waitresses know to use this memory strategy uh, when they're in the restaurant business taking orders from six people at a table. Uh, they create a room in their mind, that's a picture, and then they put things in the room in the sequence they need to remember it. And now all they have to do is remember the picture of the room and they can follow everything yep. out in the sequence they needed to. So those are absolutely great strategies that even typical people can use for enhancing their self-regulation and goal-directed behavior. So just to play off of what you're saying is when people with ADHD have to pack and they have to go for a trip, often they have to visually imagine themselves walking their way through the trip, which can be very, very effortful for them sometimes. And sometimes where they procrastinate, they go do other things and they wait to the last minute. And this is just, again, this is all working memory-based, but rather than having to construct 
or simulate your vision of what the future is. Uh, I did this kind of – my son and I used to do a lot of Boy Scout uh, camp backpacking in camp. I was a high-adventure scoutmaster, and there's car camping, there's backpack camping. And one day, he and I made a list of literally every piece of camping equipment we had in the house. And what would happen is when right. we had to go camping, we'd print off two lists, one for him and one for I. And the first thing we would do if we were backpacking, we would go cross off of the list everything that was car camping that we wouldn't need. And then what was left, we would go get and throw it into a pile and put it in our backpack. Right. And I'm saying this because it relieved the need, the, the need for me to go through the visual imagery to imagine what I had. I documented it was a lot easier to cross the stuff off, and it made it really, really simple. Again, we're, we're taking a look at working memory, and we're trying to make it less taxing so that we can kind of perform. And I, I'm just sharing that because when you talk about that yeah. imagery, sometimes it's very effortful for that person to imagine and walk their way through that. And if you can yes. reduce some of the dependence or even have somebody talk to you while you're doing it, these are the types of strategies that really, really benefit those for the ADHD. They, they sure do. And, and let's remember, one of the things that's coming out here is that there are individual differences, even among people with ADHD, in which of these two capacities is stronger. For some people, it is going to be the verbal side and the listing. In fact, research shows that Verbal working memory is twice as good as visual working memory in the average person with ADHD. Or to put it differently, the visual system of working memory is twice as bad as the verbal system for most people, but not all of them. There are these differences. Artists and other people find their visual system is better than the verbal system, uh, and so do many other people who are visually inclined anyway, even without ADHD such as architects and mathematicians and you know, physicists and other people who deal with mechanical things uh, and, and visual things. So uh, let's keep in mind what Jeff and I are talking about is you need to discover which of these strategies seems to be the more powerful for you uh, and not necessarily rely on what was working for somebody else. So please try them both, see which one works. As Jeff pointed out for he and his son for camping, the, the list was better. I've had other people say, look, once I've laid out all the things I need for an upcoming trip on my bed, I take a cell phone yep. picture of it. And now from that point on, I have a picture in my smartphone of what I need to take on the next trip. Uh, and then I can certainly supplement that with whatever's needed for this specific trip, but there's everything visually. Uh, you can also make a list of it as well, but try to discover for yourself which of these is probably the more powerful for you. You're probably already going to know because you tend to fall back on these things automatically as you're doing things, whether you prefer images or words or words and images. Uh, you, know, it, you know, some people would yep. rather ask somebody for directions than boot up their GPS. Uh, other people, like me, love the GPS because it has both the verbal and the visual Im image in it. But there are people who still like to follow verbal directions, and that's because their verbal system is stronger. So discover that for yourself. So, it's, it's a lot about everything else. Uh, you know, we're all individuals, and not everything that works for one works for the other. I, 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 we, <laughs> we need to pull this thing together, but, but I, I can't help but myself but, but, but walk through this one. So, Dr. Barkley, we talked earlier, earlier that I have this exercise where I'll tell a person, I'm going to say, like, the word teacher, hippopotamus, bumblebee, zebra kangaroo and i ask them to repeat them back to me so often what i do is i'll say okay so you you, you saw what's going on how did you remember the, the the words or the things that i said it's fascinating some people and again my point really here is the individual differences some people say yeah. i could hear the echo of your voice in my mind and that's what helped me remember 
what the word was. Right. Others right. So they're repeating the words to themselves. I, right. Yeah, I could I could visualize the words, all the words I said you actually visualize. One woman told me, I imagined a teacher with a bumblebee flying around her head and a hippopotamus, a zebra, and a kangaroo sitting in the chairs. There another you go. Person, another person actually said that they remembered it based off of smell. Oh, wow. And yeah. my point really is, is that what's going on inside your head, only you can witness it. Nobody else can, and so you can't witness anybody else. You have nothing to compare it to. And I know, Dr. Barkley, one of the things that I do when I'm listening to people, I'm, I'm trying to get out of my head what works. I'm trying to kind of help them. I watch their behavior and what they instinctively go to for clues to mirror back to them. And I actually have worked with people before where their to-do list was smell-based. Believe it or not, crayons yes. have smell to them. We were using those because that, for whatever reason, caught their attention, they could remember things off of it. And so what you said about individual differences in witnessing as a coach I found to be most powerful because you can read the books, but just because it works for somebody doesn't mean it works for you. And I've actually coached people where I said, you're forbidden to read many more books because it's about self-observation and about what works for you. Yes. So I, forgive me for getting That's on right. that soapbox, but just so often no. it's about stopping and your brain works differently and witnessing it because what works for you might not work for everybody else. Yeah, and don't forget, we, we overlooked the tactile part of this as well. Remember, all the senses come into yep. play. Even though many people are either visual or verbal auditory, uh, there are people, as you pointed out, whose strength is their, their sense of smell. For others, it's taste. For many people, it's touch. They remember things by the feel of it. And uh, whatever works for you, yep. I think the key word here is try to enhance that. Try to make something physical that reminds you of that. Uh, to augment this weak capacity within the brain. And you'll be doing what we tell people to do. You'll be offloading your working memory onto other devices and strategies uh, to try to uh, be more effective in your daily life. And you can't do any better than that. Absolutely, absolutely. So we got, unfortunately, okay, we go on for another hour. Unfortunately, we need to wrap this up. I think the key for me over the years is understanding ADHD is really very much a challenge of self-regulation, and working memory is, is very challenging. And I think today, I think you did a great job of kind of help people understand what it is kind of almost visually or, or tactically and actually acknowledge it's difficult. And the more that you can offload that, the better, and there's a variety of different strategies. Um, with that being said, any last comments before we close it out? Uh, well, let's just remember what the other five are so that people understand that there were seven yep. executive functions. The first is self-awareness. If you don't monitor yourself, there's nothing to stop. You're just on automatic pilot all day. And you're getting in trouble. Uh, the second is inhibition, which Jeff talked about. You need to build in some stopping so the other six executive functions have a chance to help guide you. So stop uh, when you're in the middle of doing something. Periodically, just stop what you're doing. Use your self-awareness, kind of like radar, monitor that. We've talked about verbal and nonverbal working memory, so that gets us to four. So what are the other three? The other three are self-regulating emotions, which Jeff and I talked about in an earlier podcast. The next is self-motivation, which I think we ought to do another podcast on or another show because that's a real deficit for ADHD children and adults. And then the last one is mental play, the planning and problem solving, which we've kind of gotten at a little bit here in talking about how we manipulate images and words as part of our planning toward our goals. So those are your seven. 
Uh, and uh, we'll come back perhaps in the, in the future and talk more about the motivational component. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, Dr. Barkley, uh, for our listeners out there, go learn more about him. Really, all you have to do is Google Russell Barkley. He's all over the place. Go to his website at russellbarkley.org. And with that, Dr. Barkley, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. Great work. Everybody, we hope you enjoyed. This was a great interview. Go back and listen to it a couple times. Catch us next week with another great edition of Attention Talk Radio. Take care. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.